right. Good morning. morning. How are we doing today? Good to see you guys. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'll remind you, as James did a moment ago, this is the last Sunday in this worship center as you know it. And so starting next Sunday, same worship times, just a new location, the student ministry building, 830, 10, and 1130. And it's going to be a great opportunity for us as a church to say yes to God and expand this room, update the technology. We'll be streaming uh, live worship from this uh, uh, building uh, starting this fall. We'll be ready to move back in early in August, and it's going to be so exciting. It's a part of our Proclaim initiative. If you're new uh, to the north campus of Prestonwood, uh, we launched an initiative in February uh, to expand ministry space. We are expanding children's ministry space and creating a new check-in to accommodate all of the guests. We are expanding our worship center, updating the technology here in this room, and adding some much-needed parking. And if for any reason you're not yet participating with us as a part of our Proclaim initiative, please prayerfully consider doing so. You can find out all the information on our website. There are brochures on the back tables as you are dismissed later today. Or if you'll reach out to any one of our staff members, we would love to buy you a cup of coffee and talk to you about this great uh, work. And as you just saw from that sermon bumper, uh, we are in this sermon series entitled Tell Me the Story of Jesus. For the last many months, we've kind of navigated much in the way of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And just these last several weeks, a series within the series where we're examining the seven sign miracles as recorded in the Gospel of John. And you'll remember this began at a wedding ceremony in Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. And then Jesus healed the Roman official's son. And then Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. And then last Sunday, we talked about the miracle on the mountain, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if last Sunday's uh, miracle that we studied was the most famous, then I would argue this is a close second. And that is Jesus walking on the water. And it is recorded here in John chapter 6, but it's also found in two other gospels. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, Matthew records this same miracle event, only he adds the detail of Peter getting out of the boat to meet Jesus and himself walking on the water until his faith failed and is rescued uh, by Jesus there on the Sea of Galilee. Also in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52, record the exact same miracle event as well. Only they have the added detail that when the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, they're in such shock, they actually wonder whether or not what they're seeing is a ghost. And that leads us to John's account. And it's probably not a surprise to you at this point that John's gospel has the least amount of detail regarding this particular miracle moment of all three. And, and the reason for that is simple. John's aim in recording, his aim and purpose in his written testimony is singular. John simply records what is necessary for someone to know Jesus and to believe in him so that they could have life in his name. Again, he spells this out, John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's no wonder why John's gospel records the least amount of detail, whereas Matthew has Peter walking on the water. Mark talks about the disciples believing they had seen a ghost. John just gets right to the point because John's point is, I simply want you to see Jesus so that in seeing Jesus, you can believe in him 
And that when you believe in him, you can find life in his name. And so we're going to study John's record of this miracle moment on the Sea of Galilee. It's in John chapter 6. We're going to start reading together in verse 16. We'll read all the way through, and then we'll stop, and I'll highlight some takeaways that I think are worth our attention today. John chapter 6, let's read together, starting in verse 16. If you're there, say, I got it. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, John gives us a little bit of detail here, but I think it's important for us to pay attention to some of what he's saying and some of what he might not. So John is saying that the disciples have headed out ahead of Jesus. They've started out on the water and that it's now evening and things are very dark. We've talked about the reality that we don't know nighttime like they would have known nighttime because we have all this ambient light here in the city. Well, this is country dark, right? It's really, really dark. And even though these disciples are well-versed in the Sea of Galilee and these are seasoned fishermen who know how to handle themselves in and around a boat, it's still very, very dark Uh, when they head out and begin this journey across the lake. And and so I think John is doing a couple of things. He's highlighting a a physical reality. He's painting a picture of the scene of what is exactly happening in this moment at this time. But listen, I think there are spiritual undertones that John wants us to pay attention to as well. Because notice that the writer says that it's dark and Jesus hadn't shown up. Right, So I think he's highlighting something for us to see. Yes, physically, he's painting the picture of the scene at this particular time, but he's also spiritually highlighting a reality when there's an absence of Jesus. It's dark, and Jesus has not yet come. Pick it up in verse 18. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So again, now they're about halfway across the lake. And it's not unusual at this particular area of the world because it's like a lake effect storms like we would think about around our Great Lakes. They have lake effect weather around the Sea of Galilee. So tall mountains and then a low-lying body of water, a large body of water that at times can create its own microclimate. And so there is a storm that is kicked up. This is not terribly unusual, but the disciples, because of the headwinds that they're rowing against, have only gotten about halfway across the water, likely the deepest part of the lake. And because of that, then they see Jesus walking on the water miraculously toward them. And the Bible says they're terrified. By the way, so would we. So would we. Pick it up in 20. But Jesus says to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I'm going to show you what I think are three critically important takeaways for us from this gospel narrative of this particular miracle moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. But I'm not going to teach a collective holistic uh, um, um, sermon from all three accounts of this miracle that is recorded here in the gospel of John. I I am going to highlight a detail or two from uh, both Matthew and And Mark, but I really want us to focus on what it is that John says so that we can see Jesus and by believing in him, we can have life then in his name. But I think I would commend to you that don't let your only study of the Bible be what we do together in this room. And so a great way, if you're not used to studying the Bible on your own, a great way for you to begin that endeavor might be to read Matthew's account. 
might be to read Mark's account. You can do that later today. You can do it later this week. But then just do some comparative work on your own of some of the differences that you see and see if you can draw out some things that each writer might have wanted their audience to know about the person of Christ. And in light of that, you and I. Because this is how we grow in our understanding of God, by discovering what he has for us to see in his word. It's, it's practice. My son is obsessed with golf, and so he's constantly hitting golf balls on the driving range, putting on the putting green, working on the chipping green, because he is obsessed with practice, wanting to grow in that craft. Well, I would encourage us to be people who want to grow in a greater understanding of who God is. And listen, you can practice anytime you want. You can meet with God right here. So if you're a note taker, here's a few Uh, takeaways that I think are worthy of our attention. The first that you might want to write down is this. Some storms, which you are aware of, are actually God's protection from other storms, which you are not. I'll show this to you. Some storms, which you are aware of, are actually God's protection from other storms, which you are not. You remember last week, we talked about the miracle on the mountain. Jesus took the schoolboy's lunch, right? Uh, Five barley loaves, two fish, and he somehow multiplied that miraculously to feed uh, 10 to uh, 20,000 people. And and naturally, the crowd was whipped into a frenzy. They were excited. And the Bible tells us in verse 15 of John chapter 6 that Jesus perceived they wanted to take him by force and to make him their king. But we talked about the danger in that, didn't we? That we said the danger in that uh, anointing of Jesus as king in light of the miracle provision that he had made was that people were expressing they wanted Jesus for what he could provide, but not as much for the person who he is. They wanted the sign, but maybe not the savior. And there is a danger for us equally that if we're content with full bellies and not content with the reality that we might have empty hearts, we're doomed. We're, we're in trouble. And so Jesus knew that, and he didn't want his disciples to get caught up in that. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus then withdrew, knowing that the crowd had worked themselves into a frenzy and that this was false worship that they were wanting to bestow upon Christ. Jesus withdraws up into the mountain for isolation so that he can uh, be by himself. But Mark's gospel, when it records this exact same story, tells us that before Jesus personally withdraws, he sends the disciples out ahead of him to begin the journey across the lake, but to do so by themselves. Listen to what it says, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while the crowd Uh, while he dismissed the crowd. Now, if Jesus is God and he knows everything all of the time, and it's easy for us to understand that now, but I would argue Jesus had proven that to be true back then. Because remember, Jesus has already showed us his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. He changed the chemical properties of water into wine. And Jesus has already shown us that he's uh, omnipresent. He can be anywhere, anytime, because he healed uh, a nobleman's son who was sick, and he wasn't even physically present when he brought the healing that allowed the boy to be made well. And Jesus has shown that he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, in that in verse 15 it says that Jesus perceived that the crowd wanted to take him by force and make him their king. And so we know that Jesus is God. He knows everything all the time, and yet... Jesus sends his disciples out ahead of him into this bad weather. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, because sometimes 
the storms that we're aware of are actually God's protection from other storms that we're not. See, Jesus didn't want his disciples to get caught up in that storm of false ideology or false worship where they would have bestowed upon Jesus this idea that we want you because you provide instead of we want you for who you are. And Jesus didn't want his disciples to get caught up in that storm because Jesus knows that storm of false worship, that storm of only wanting the sign and not the Savior is so much more devastating than a little bit of wind and rain. And see, I think we're a people who sometimes are begging God so much to change the weather instead of asking God, maybe you're providing for me something right smack dab in the middle of it and saving me from weather that could be so much worse. So listen, you got a speeding ticket? I get it. That stinks. I've had them too. But what if that isn't, that storm isn't God's provision for the worst storm that could have been a car crash? Your spouse caught you looking at something you shouldn't have been. But what if that storm isn't God's provision to keep you out of the storm of you stepping out in your marriage where the consequences could have been so much more severe? Right? Listen, I'm not saying you have to like the weather when you're in the middle of the storm, but I'm wondering if it isn't God's shelter from a storm that might have been so much worse. You with me? And so maybe when we're in the middle of the rain and the wind and the waves, what we do is ask God, what are you teaching me? And maybe what are you protecting me from, even though I'm, I'm still, still getting wet? Some storms, which we're aware of, are actually God's protection from other storms, which we're not. Here's the second takeaway I want to point out to you. Genuine faith in God is measured in both mountaintop miracles and in the storms on the sea. Genuine faith in God is measured both in mountaintop miracles and in the storms on the sea. Again, I want to take you back to last week. Remember that Jesus has taken the smallest measure and done the most significant miracle. Jesus has arguably, according to scholarship, fed somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people with a Lunchable. It's pretty substantial what it is that Jesus had done. And again, the crowd is whipped into a frenzy of excitement, but don't let it get twisted. The disciples were pretty impressed too. I mean, again, we talked about this last week, that there were 12 baskets of leftovers and every one of the disciples was able to themselves physically pick up a basket because it would have been necessary for them to have learned the lesson that Jesus wanted them to see. Because if they are going to be the first followers, if they're going to be the ones who plant the first church, if they're going to be the ones who are responsible for bringing about the change to all the world, they're going to need to see that God can do a great deal with a little bit when it's fully entrusted to him. And so the disciples were naturally excited about that. But listen, it's pretty easy to get excited about God when you're on the mountaintop. Like, you with me? It's pretty easy to get excited about God to put your finger in the air when you're standing in the end zone. But the reality is, it's just as necessary, it's just as necessary to believe in God when you're in the storm, in the valley, in the sea. Now, it's not as easy to get excited in that moment. It's not as easy to celebrate the goodness of God when you're in the storm of life, but it's just as necessary. Because the same God who met you on the mountain is the same God who's going to meet you on the floor of the sea. 
He's the same God in both places. He is the God in the mountaintop moments when it's easy to go yes and amen and point to him as he is the God when you're struggling and you're in the storm on the sea. It's the same God in both places. In fact, I would even tell you, you're able to endure the storms on the floor of the sea when you remember the miracle that God had provided in the mountain just a few hours before. Right? Like it's no coincidence these two, happen, these two things happened immediately one right after the other. Right? So they had this incredible mountaintop moment, this miracle, where they're in the end zone with God. And then they immediately have to head out across the water and the wind and waves pick up and the rain begins to blow. And now all of a sudden they're in the storm in a fight for their life. We, you remember the mountaintop moments when you're facing the storm and you're caught in the weather on the sea. See, the reality is the disciples were facing both bad weather and then this scary moment when Jesus shows up right in the middle of it. And so you ask yourself, well, what made him terrified? I would say all of that. But I think what has to be seen is the consistency between both miracles. You see, the consistency is not the location, right? The last miracle on the mountain was up on the side of that mountain where Jesus had found that grassy place where everyone sat down and he was able to take the five loaves and the two fish and to feed the 10 to 20,000 people who showed up with hungry bellies that needed to be filled. The, the consistency is not the location. The consistency is not even the problem. At that moment, the problem was hungry people. At this moment, it's a storm on the sea. The consistency is the provider. The consistency is the person who shows up, the person of Jesus Christ. And, and for me, and I don't know if this is a stretch, but for me, I'm seeing some of Psalm 23 here. So Psalm 23 is my favorite. It's a psalm written by King David because King David wasn't always a king. He grew up as a shepherd boy with very humble Beginnings And David equates the relationship between those who belong to him with God as being like a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And one of the things that David says about this dynamic between us and God is that God provides for us like a good shepherd provides and protects his sheep. And Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil so that my cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David tells us this is the dynamic dynamic between those who belong to God with God who loves and provides and protects them. Well, think about the two miracles that we've just seen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. When they were on that miracle on the mountain, do you know what the Bible says? It says it was a place with much grass and Jesus sat them down. Now, I'm not just talking about the physical provision, but the reality is that according to John chapter 6, when you keep reading, Jesus says, I'm spiritual nourishment and whoever eats of me is never going to hunger again. And so in the same way that King David saw the relationship with God and those who belong to him, I think we see Jesus providing that green grass for you and me as well. But what else does the psalmist say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside. Now, what does Jesus do when he shows up in the, on the sea? Calm the storm. Right? 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil, for you are with me. It's your rod and your staff, and you comfort me. And you provide for me, God, when I need green pastures on top of the mountain and when I'm facing really severe storms in the valley of the shadow of death. You're the same God in both places. And he's just as necessary for us to believe in when we're celebrating in the good moments and when we're agonizing in the bad. It's just as necessary for us to believe in the provision of God equally because he's in both. I was thinking about this. Um, there's a, a song by Casting Crowns, um, uh, uh, Praise Him in the Storm. And I, uh, I've heard this song many, many times. And, and the, you know, the easy thing for us to do is, is to praise God and give him glory. And, you know, the television interviews um, uh, after a big uh, sporting event when the team wins, well, all glory to God. Well, let's, let's check the interview out in the locker room of those who lose. Because, listen, he's in both. He's in the locker room with the winners, and he's in the locker room with, with the losers. I have seen in my own life and in my pastoral ministry, I've seen people praise Jesus in the storm. I have seen women in our church that have suffered through breast cancer that have stood on this stage, on this platform, with their voices raised and their arms held high, praising God while they're receiving chemotherapy. I've seen in this church parents who have buried their children, and at their child's funeral, they have lifted their hands and raised their voices and believed God is good in the midst of that which is so bad because they praised him in the storm. Because it's really easy to celebrate him when we're having our mountaintop miracles. It's necessary to praise him when we're having our storms on the floor of the sea. It's just as necessary for us to recognize that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus has done. And so, genuine faith in God is measured in both the mountaintop miracles and in the storms on the sea. And that leads me to the last. The presence of Jesus is with us in the storms of this life now, and he saves us from the storms of the life that is to come. The presence of Jesus is with us in the storms of this life now, and he saves us from the storms of the life that is to come. Again, I'm going to show you this in the text. Look with me again at verses 19 through 21. There are two important realities for us to see regarding the power of the presence of Jesus. Look again, it says, And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The first thing I would show, say to you is this. Jesus is with us in the storms of this life now. Did you notice the dialogue, the exchange between Jesus and the disciples? So the scriptures say they were three or four miles out, right? So that's about halfway uh, across the lake. So over the deepest water, still right in the middle of the storm. It's a scary moment to be certain and sure. Then Jesus shows up and the disciples are terrified, not only because of the storm, but because they're seeing Jesus walking on the water in the middle of it. And, and Jesus says two things that I think are significant. The first is he identifies himself. And then he tells them that they don't need to be afraid. 
And it's important that we understand that the order in which Jesus spoke these two things. The first is the identification of self gives the justification for the reason for no fear. You with me? Because Jesus says, I'm here. Fellas, I'm here. I'm here. And, and so you don't have to be af- afraid. Now listen, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Like some of you have gotten this twisted and it's important that you understand the God to whom you belong. He never says, the weather's not that bad. He doesn't say that. He never says, you need to get over it. You complain about the weather all the time. He doesn't say that. Do you know what he says? Hey, I'm here. Look up at I'm here. That's what he says. See, some of you are in a storm right now, and you need to hear what God is saying to you is, I'm here. And because Jesus is here, then you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is here. He's in the middle of your storms. And what I love most about what the scriptures tell us is that then Jesus got into their boat. Now, there could have been a lot of ways that Jesus could have navigated that storm. He could have clicked his heels and shown up across the other side. Jesus could have hovered over the waters. He could have taken a jet ski, but he didn't. Do you know what he did? He got in their boat. He got in their boat and he said, we're going to ride this thing out. Now, listen, Mary is my ride or die on this side of eternity, but Jesus is your ride or die forever. You with me? He is in your boat. He doesn't say the weather's not that bad. He doesn't say get over it. He doesn't say you complain about it all the time. He said, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Now, help me into that boat because we're going to ride this thing out together. And some of you need to recognize this reality is that when you belong to Jesus, he doesn't condemn your weather. He just promises to ride with you smack in the middle of it. He gets in your boat. You with me? He gets in your boat. I, I, uh, uh, Mary and I have a song that means a lot to us because in 2018 when our Hannah got so sick, it was kind of popular at that time. And it's by Mandisa. And uh, it's, uh, it's He is With You. And uh, so if you like music, I would encourage you to go download that. But one of the things that just jumped out at us in that song is it says, He is with you in that ICU when the doctors don't know what to do. He is with you. Well, I'm going to tell you, we've had that moment when the doctors tell you, oh, we don't know what to do. I can remember the day uh, that they told me I needed to drive back to Longview to take my big kids out of class and tell them that their little sister wasn't going to come home. Yeah. And Jesus was there. Now, About a month after that, we got to bring Hannah home from the hospital, and it was a mountaintop moment to be sure. But do you realize that it was the same Jesus that was in both places? Right? So so he is in your storm with you right now. He is with you. Now, some of you feel like you're all alone, and you may be fighting alone in your family. You may be fighting alone in your work. You may be fighting alone in your mind. But you're not fighting alone without God. He's in your boat. He's riding this thing out with you because he loves you. And you need to understand he's with us in the storms of this life now. And he saves us from the storms of the life that is to come. Did you catch this reality that um, all three gospel accounts record this particular detail, that the moment that Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, the scripture says immediately they arrived at the land to where they were going. 
You with me? So what does that mean? Well, I think it means this, that the promise is that when Jesus gets in your boat, the guarantee of your destination is certain and sure. So the moment that Jesus gets in your boat, the guarantee that you are going to make it to the other side is absolutely certain and sure. And do you know what the shore is for the believer? It's heaven. And when Jesus gets in your boat, it doesn't matter how bad the storms on this life, on this side of eternity actually get. The promise is that the shores of heaven are secure and they are waiting for you. Not because you're good at rowing your boat, not because you could hop out and swim and get there on your own, but because God got in it. But because Jesus got in your boat, then the opportunity and the guarantee for you to reach the destination of heaven is certain and sure. In 1952, there was a woman named Florence Chadwick who attempted to swim from Catalina Island off of the coast of California back to the coast of California. It was a lengthy swim. She would have set a record at that particular time. She made this attempt, and because heavy fog set in, after about 15 hours, she had to give up, and, uh, and she was not able to complete her task. Two months later, she attempted this swim again, and despite the fact that the weather was exactly the same, she finished and she reached the shore. And when she was interviewed by news reporters after she had completed this great feat, they asked her, well, since the weather was the same, what changed for you that you were able to finish the race this time and you weren't the time before? And she said, in my mind, I visualized the shore, and I know where it was that I was going. Listen, believer, if, if you are in Christ and Jesus has gotten in your boat, the shore is guaranteed for you. Heaven is waiting for you because Christ has gotten in. And so the question is whether or not he's in your boat. Whether or not Jesus has gotten in your boat. I ask this question every single Sunday when we're studying this particular series. What are you going to do with Jesus? Well, the first thing I want to challenge you is to think about this and maybe even ask God this question. Is it possible that this storm is your shelter from a worse storm? And what I'm enduring now that I'm aware of is actually protecting me from something I'm not enduring that I'm not aware of. Is it possible that the difficulty you're facing right now is actually God's protection from a difficulty with consequences that would be so much more severe? Is it possible that the storm is God's shelter from a greater storm. Here's the second thing I would ask you. Is your faith such that you can equally praise him on the mountaintop, but necessarily praise him when you're in the valley, in the storm, on the sea? Do you recognize how easy it is to put your finger up when you're standing in the end zone, but to also praise him and trust him and believe in him when you're facing the storm in the valley of the shadow of death? right? Because you understand he's the God in both places. And I actually think that the way in which you endure the storm on the sea is to remember the provision of the miracle on the mountain where he provided for you before. And then lastly, has Jesus gotten in your boat? Do you recognize that he's not only the God who's going to save you through the storms of this life, but he's going to save you from the storms of the life that is to come. Like, do you recognize that? I, I, in my mind's eye, when this moment takes place, Peter stepped out, started walking on the water, then his faith failed. Jesus extended his hand, pulled Peter up. Peter climbs back in the boat. But in my mind's eye, that this, the storm is still raging, right? 
The wind is still howling, the rain is still falling, the waves are still crashing, right? It's not like the Bible tells us that all of a sudden the storm had stopped. So Jesus shows up and he says, listen, you don't need to be scared anymore because here I am. And then he throws his hand up and one of the disciples, and it can be your favorite as you imagine this out loud, throws his hand down and Jesus is like, hey, let me ride with you. We're gonna finish this thing together. And so all of a sudden there's this connection. They pull Jesus into the boat and they immediately arrive at where it was that they were supposed to go. And the only thing that changed is Jesus got in. You see, I, I think we're really good at cursing the weather instead of asking God to ride with us in the middle of it. Just let him in your, like, do you, is Jesus in your boat? Right? Is, he's your ride or die forever. And the promise is when he gets in, that your destination the shores of heaven are exactly where you are guaranteed you're going to land. That's what's waiting for us. And so I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus, but I believe there are a bunch of us in this room who are navigating our own stormy weather. And I don't know what your storm is. I don't know if it's a fractured marriage. I don't know if you're battling a mental health crisis. I don't know if you have a child who is far from God or a spouse who says he or she is done. I'm not sure what your storm is, but I can promise you this, God will get in your boat if you'll just ask him. He'll ride this thing out with you. And what if this storm is actually his shelter from something you're not even aware of could be so much more severe? And it's gonna take faith to believe him in the best times and necessary to believe him in the worst so that you can endure. But he'll ride with you. And when you recognize he's there, that's when fear has to leave. And so if you are here and you don't have a relationship with God, but you want one, it needs to begin today. I, I talk to people all the time. Uh, Mary and I had coffee with uh, someone this week who's navigating a, a crisis with a child who's faced a health difficulty. And, and we were paired through a mutual friend. And I, I, we had this kind I don't know how somebody navigates storms absent of Jesus. I, I don't know how they do that. And so some of you have been navigating a storm and, and, and you've been doing so absent of God. But you need to give your life to Jesus right now. You need to fully surrender and ask God to get in the boat. And you need to do it today. Others of you, you God's making it clear that even though this weather is bad and you don't have to enjoy it, it's actually a, a protection from weather that could be so much worse. And so today's a day where you need to praise him in the storm. You just need to praise God in the middle of the storm. If you need prayer for something, a storm that you're navigating, a difficulty you're facing and having to endure, would you entrust that prayer to us? Do you want to join our church? Did you see the five who were bold and courageous enough to be baptized here uh, today? Maybe you need to be baptized. You need to go public with your profession of faith in God. If you need to be baptized or you want to join this church or you need prayer or you need to give your life to God, this is an invitation we are inviting you to respond to whatever it is that God has said. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices. We're going to praise God in our storm. And you are going to be invited to respond to whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. Before we pray, I would just ask you to consider this. Would you consider this is the most sensitive part of the worship service today? 
And so would you just consider maybe minimizing movement and trying your best uh, to pray uh, that God's spirit would have his way with us in this time as we enter into this invitation and worship response. Let's be as reverent and thoughtful as we can about how God might want to move in our heart. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of invitation and the worship response, that we would be a people who are obedient. God, thank you so much. I even thank you for storms. I thank you that sometimes our storms are protection from worse weather. God, I pray that I would be found faithful in the mountaintop moments and when I'm in the valley and the floor of the sea. Father, I pray that we would recognize if Jesus is not in the boat, that he can be, wants to be, and will be if we'll simply ask him and invite him in. So God, move in this place, move in our hearts. We love you and we trust you. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.